Friends, as you are filtering back to your seats this morning, you may have noticed that there is something new in the bulletin between the passing of the peace and the reading of Scripture. And it is vaguely titled, Witnessing God and the World, or something like that. It's so vague, I don't remember exactly what it is. And that is on purpose. <laughs> that is to make this purposely a flexible piece of our worship service together. Um, many churches um, have in the past and still do have children's sermons where the children come up before the reading of the scripture, before the sermon, and there's an object lesson or a story, something to connect the scripture for children. And I have found in my experience that adults tend to like the children's sermon at least as much as the children do, if not more. And we do have some children here, and so we will be doing that from time to time, doing children's sermons. Although in weeks where my children are the only ones who are here, um, that's not very fair because they hear me preach all week. So that's not always going to be a children's sermon. Some churches have done in the past something called a minute permission. Have you ever done that here? I got a lot of head nods at Emsworth, but I wasn't sure if you all have done that, where a missionary from abroad would come in and give a, a brief presentation on what they've been doing, or perhaps a local missionary who works with a, a nonprofit in the area or a parachurch organization would come in and talk about what's going on. And we have some, some friends who do um, a lot of great work in our area. And there's folks in the ministerium here in Sewickley, um, groups that, that members of the two congregations work with. Um, I've been talking a lot about the shoe collection for Kairos Outside, um, and we've got some friends who are going to come in and talk a little bit about what that ministry is and other ways to support it. And so it's an opportunity to find out what kind of mission work is happening in the world. Um, at a time when we hear an awful lot about how the church is getting smaller, we don't hear a lot about what good is still happening in the world. So that will be an opportunity for that sometimes. Uh, some churches have opportunity for testimony. Perhaps someone would give a testimony of how they came to know Jesus, how they came to be in this, this fellowship of believers, or perhaps something incredible that God has done in their lives. And so this could be an open space for that as well. And so we're just calling it witnessing God's work. There are a variety of ways that we can stand in this place during our church service and say, this is what God is doing. Just like the psalmists do in the Psalms, when they remember how God led them out of Egypt. And they remember how they were led into the promised land. This is our time of saying, this is where God has led us, and this is what we've done. Now, I meant to make this kind of an open mic uh, sharing time today, but God had other plans and Hurricane blew in, and so we have uh, other things that we need to be doing midst of all of the turmoil, turmoil that has been happening in Texas and Louisiana because of all of this weather, we are seeing glimmers as well, though, of people coming in and joining together in a community of, um, you know, experts and civilians alike coming together to support one another in this time. And I think it's important for us to spend some time in prayer for our brothers and sisters down there and to remember that even in the midst of crisis, God is working. Um, what I have here is um, a list with some names on it. And we do have some folks who are directly connected to our two congregations who have been affected by this hurricane. Um, one is Bob Palacy's brother, Thomas, who was actually trapped in his truck for three days before being, being rescued. And so we're going to continue to put, pray for him and, and his wife, Melanie, as they are going to have a lot of cleanup to do. I believe their house was affected. Uh, 
Uh, Joanne McCormick is someone who's connected to the congregation in Emsworth, and uh, her house flooded. She was stuck at home. Um, she, she said not to worry about it. She has plenty of Snickers in the freezer to get her through. <laughs> so, so she's in good spirits, but we want to continue to remember to pray for our sister Joanne. And then um, one, of, one of our sisters at Emsworth lifted up a couple of families she knows through the school she teaches at. Uh, one of whom just moved to Houston and uh, got their neighborhood flooded. Another one who just moved from Houston was in the process of selling their house, and then the house was completely destroyed. So we certainly have folks that we want to be praying for, and I want to give you all a moment if you have someone that you know um, personally who's been affected that we can get their name on here. Um, so is there anyone that has a specific name or a person or family that they know that is, has been affected? So we'll certainly be praying for Max's family as well. Yeah, even people who weren't um, directly hit have been feeling the effects. I know a friend of mine is, um, I think she's in Corpus Christi or just outside, and she hasn't been able to get gas from her car because it's just been impossible to get to gas. So. Any others? We're going to keep this um, handy. It's going to be on our Where Is That or Around Us bulletin board. If you hear of names or know of more people who are affected, please feel free to, to write them in, and um, we'll be continuing to pray for folks, uh, the, both those that we know personally and those, um, all the others who've been affected. So let's take a few moments to pray right now, friends. God of our life, whose presence sustains us in every circumstance, in the aftermath of storm and distress, we welcome the restoring power of your love and compassion. We open our hearts in sorrow and gratitude and hope that those who've been spared nature's fury, as well as those whose lives are changed forever by ravages of wind and water, may find solace, sustenance, and strength in the days of recovery and reflection that come. We are grateful that dire predictions did not result in the worst-case scenario, yet served to support our best efforts at preparation and immediate relief. At the same time, we open ourselves to the stories of those for whom the hurricane was not a near miss, communities deeply affected, whose livelihood, homes, and stability have been destroyed. We pray in grief, remembering the lives that have been lost, we lift our voices in sorrow and compassion for families who have lost loved ones, homes, or livelihood. We ask for sustaining courage for those who are suffering, wisdom and diligence among agencies and individuals assessing damage and directing relief efforts. 
and for generosity to flow as powerfully as rivers and streams as we, your people, respond to the deep human needs beginning to emerge in the wake of the storm. In these days of relief, assessment, and response, open our eyes, our hearts, and our hands to the needs of your children and the movements of your spirit who flows in us like the river whose streams make glad the city of God and the hearts of all who dwell in it and in you. In the name of Christ the Healer, we pray. Amen. God, we ask that you would open up all of our hearts and all of our minds, that we might hear your word proclaimed in this place today. Amen. Our psalm reading this morning comes from Psalm 26, verses 1 through 8. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind, for your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence and go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Our epistle reading this morning comes from the letter to the Romans, chapter 9, or I'm sorry, chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of God for the people of God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our Rock and our Redeemer. Each week in the lectionary, which many preachers preach from, it's a three-year cycle of scripture passages that help to keep us honest and make sure we're not only preaching the parts that we like, but that we're getting to everything that is in the Bible. 
Each week there are four selections. There is a psalm, and then there is something else from the Old Testament. There is a gospel reading, and then something else from the New Testament. And the one that I didn't read in whole this morning is from Jeremiah 15. If you want to read the whole thing when you get home, it's Jeremiah 15, 15 through 21. And I didn't read it this morning because I love the Hebrew prophets, but it is a strange passage where Jeremiah is sort of complaining to God about where he's wound up stuck. Jeremiah is probably one of my favorite Hebrew prophets. I love Amos. I love Amos's message, but we don't get this personal connection to the story of Amos like we do in Jeremiah. And Jeremiah has a great story, too. It's from Jeremiah that we get a very popular verse. Many people love it. Jeremiah 29, 11, that says, I know the plans I have made for you, says the Lord. And we usually use it to comfort people or to encourage them that God has a plan for everyone. But knowing Jeremiah's story, it sounds kind of terrifying. Because God had plans for Jeremiah, but they were not what he expected. Being a prophet for Jeremiah meant taking his idea of what a good plan was, tearing it up into little pieces, lighting it on fire, and throwing it out the window. Because God had something unexpected in mind. And in Jeremiah 15, Jeremiah has been rejected, made fun of, beaten up, all because of his delivery of God's message to the people. And he laments, I did not sit in the company of revelers, nor did I rejoice. I sat alone, because your hand was upon me, for you had filled me with indignation. Why is my pain unceasing, my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? Jeremiah's was a life full of adventure, but it was anything but glamorous, and it was probably anything but what he'd expected following God would look like. You see, each of the prophets had unpopular messages to deliver, messages like, stop ignoring the oppression of the poor and marginalized and powerless, or your whole nation will come to ruin. And if you keep up with that materialism and idolatry, your whole society is going to fall apart. And on top of having uncomfortable and unpopular messages, the prophets were just all a little bit weird. Their lifestyles made very little sense to the people around them. Now, prophetic calling did not die out back in the day after Jeremiah and Isaiah, or even after John the Baptist retired. It just started to take on a new shape. And Paul spends a great deal of time and energy in his letters to the early churches telling them that their job is to be a new sort of prophet in the world. If we look at Romans, and especially Romans 12, where we've been for the past two weeks, Paul tells us that we all collectively have a calling. It's not just each individual person who has a call on their lives. Much of Romans is often read as talking about personal salvation, individual lifestyle, and response to God. But right here in the center of it, we see that plural you that we have talked about before. Paul is not saying you as in an individual. He's saying yins as in all of you. This is for everyone together. Because the church, both individuals and together as a whole, has a calling to this prophetic lifestyle. 
which fortunately for us does not mean eating locusts and honey dressed funny in the desert like John the Baptist, and it doesn't mean hanging out in a cave like Elijah, but it's still about a way of being. It wasn't just the words that the prophets spoke, it was their entire life. In fact, our uh, lay liturgist at Emsworth this morning read the passage before church and summed it up quite well when she said, this is hard. And I said, I didn't think I gave you a passage with any weird names this morning. And she said, no, not reading the passage, doing this, doing what Romans 12 says is hard. It asks us to do some very difficult things. It tells us to show genuine brotherly love to each other, all people, even the nasty ones. It's hard enough to fake being nice to someone we don't like or who doesn't like us. But to show genuine, brotherly love? That's weird and it's hard. It's distasteful. We would much rather spend our time writing long polemic statements, open letters, and blog posts about how evil and wrong the people who disagree with us are. Brotherly love would involve embracing those who think differently than us, loving the people around us. Rejoice with those who rejoice is often easy enough, but to weep with those who weep? Sorrow is uncomfortable. It's much more comfortable to try to convince the weeper that everything will be okay than it is to simply sit down and weep with them. As we work as a church community to respond to the havoc that Hurricane Harvey has caused, our instincts are to go straight into action and fixing, because just sitting together and weeping and praying and lamenting over the devastation is uncomfortable. And it's very important that we launch into action at these times, but also that we spend time praying and lamenting because our brothers and sisters are hurting. And how about this doozy? Leave the vengeance and the judgment to God. Feed your enemies and then let God deal with them. Give them water when they are thirsty, and don't try to take out revenge. Be kind to all, and let God sort out who gets what punishment in the end. Right now, it feels like our world runs on vengeance and animosity. Every day, there's another headline about what's happening in North Korea. I know that we're all thinking about and reading about what's going on there. And an overwhelming amount of the commentary on that situation is about what sort of revenge other countries, especially ours, should or will or could take if missiles are fired at us. And regardless of how each of us as individuals might feel about the idea of just war and what is appropriate use of force, I think that most of us have to admit that deep down we sort of like the good old-fashioned idea of watching our enemies go down hard for their crimes against us. And yet here we are, called to stop hating, called not to take revenge, called to stop trying to get even. Here we are, being reminded that we have brothers and sisters even in North Korea. It's hard to be a prophetic church and to fulfill God's calling. It means leaving our comfort zones. It means doing and saying things that aren't always really popular or desirable or instinctual. And it doesn't mean just sometimes. 
Remember that earlier in chapter 12 of Romans, which we read last week, Paul exhorts us to offer our lives as a living sacrifice, not just our Sunday mornings, not just a few minutes before dinner, not just the occasional altruistic Facebook post or signature of an online petition, but our entire lives. When Jesus' disciples left to follow him, they didn't just follow him a little bit. They didn't just follow him sometimes. They didn't just follow him only so far. They left everything, and their entire lives were turned upside down. There is no shortage of evil in the world around us. There is the brokenness of creation itself causing havoc in a hurricane. There is the looming evil of war. There is the evil of bigotry rearing its ugly head. But evil can be overcome by good, Paul says. This Christian calling, this prophetic lifestyle, this kooky, weird way of living that looks like nonsense to people who don't get it, can overcome evil. These things that we want vengeance for, the terrible things that people do that make us want to judge them or consider them to be less in some way, these things aren't overcome by more of the same. They are overcome by good. They are overcome by God's infinite and unchanging love. God's love can overcome evil through us, my friends. Hitting the bully back just reinforces the bully's belief that violence is the answer. Judging other people just fills us up with the sin of pride and the lie that we are better than somebody else. Angry letters and open statements just cause more division and compartmentalization in a time when the church needs to come together, not split apart farther. And it's freeing if you think about it, unloading all the vengeful and judgmental thinking and handing things over to God. It's a big load off to know that it's not our worry or concern to figure out who deserves what. It's our worry and concern to love. Just love with genuine brotherly love. You see, this prophetic calling is not about turning our backs on what we know and love. It's exactly the opposite. It's about really looking at what we know and love. It's about truly experiencing the world around us and really diving into it. Because you have to be in the midst of the world around you, really in it, to be able to see who is hurting and who is joyful. You have to stop and truly think about the people around you and the situations you're in to remember brotherly love, even for the disagreeable and irritating people in our lives. It's about constantly looking around ourselves and really seeing what's around us, right here where we are, and asking what's God up to here and how can I be useful it's about looking to find those who are weeping and to sit down on the curb, arm around them, and weep with them. It's about loathing evil and calling it out and saying that is not okay. It's about honoring all the people around us above and beyond how much we honor and respect ourselves. It's about seeing what the others around us need and filling that need. And we have seen some of that happening in the past few weeks. People are beginning to call out domestic terror groups like the KKK for the evil they are. People are beginning to open up uncomfortable conversations, real conversations about racial reconciliation. While the photos and the videos of the flooding in Houston are stark 
and frightening, there are also hopeful ones. Glimmers of hope as civilians and professionals alike risk their own well-being to rescue people who are trapped. Of course we are concerned, we are praying, we are sending gifts because we have loved ones who've been affected by the hurricane. That is absolutely the response that we should have. But we must also be looking for where God is working love and strange miracles right down our street here. How do we love our neighbors right here on Beaver? Who in our community can we rejoice with? And who must we sit down and weep with? Who do we want to embrace? Who do we want to push away? And how do we as a church embrace them both alike? I have seen the passion and the joy and the love and the hospitality of this congregation. And you humble me, dear ones. It is not lightly or without confidence that I give you charges like this. It is because I know that God has equipped you for it. Go look for God. Look for God by looking at the people around you, by diving in headfirst into everything you come into contact with. Love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Be alert servants of the master, cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. Help needy Christians. Be inventive in hospitality. Bless your enemies. No cursing them under your breath. Laugh with your happy friends when they're happy. Share tears when they're down. Get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies. Don't be the great somebody. Don't hit back. Discover beauty in everyone. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of it. Our scriptures tell us that if you see your enemy hungry, go buy that person lunch. Or if he's thirsty, get him a drink. Your generosity will surprise him with goodness. Don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.